I am joined today on Between the Levees by Denny Palmer, who I met at AEP and then was with at ACBL. He is a port captain based out of Houston, commuting between Houston and the greater New Orleans area. Denny, thank you very much for joining me. It's good to be here, Tim. Well, you've seen all these episodes, I believe. You know how this begins. Tell me, sir, where were you born? I was born in Centerville, Mississippi, just above the Mississippi-Louisiana border, right there above Jackson, around above Baton Rouge, that area. Okay. Uh, what did your parents do for a living? Oh, uh, my mom was in the medical field. She's retired now. Uh, my dad, my dad traveled all over the country, pretty much uh, all over the country. He spent a lot of time uh, all over the world uh, as a as a specialist in rebuilding turbines and plants. So uh, yeah, he, he's traveled everywhere. Uh, he's he's got a uh, plenty of pages in his passport, so to speak. Plenty, plenty. He's he's. He's been around. Uh, was he often uh, away while you, when you were growing up? No, not really. Uh, my parents divorced when I was uh, when I was really young. I was probably I don't know eight or nine years old. So we we kind of bounced back and forth between mom and dad and mom and dad and mom and dad summers and then school and then you know it's it was a it was a back and forth kind of life. I had something pretty similar growing up. Uh, was that all in Centerville? Uh, no. So we actually lived in a little town called Jackson, Louisiana. Uh, Centerville was just the closest hospital there whenever I was ready to come into this world, so to speak. So, yeah, we uh, they went up there to Mississippi. That's where I was born. And then I'm pretty much born and raised in South Louisiana. Gotcha. Any siblings? So, yes, uh, I'm the oldest of five. <clears throat> Two full-blooded sisters, one full-blooded brother, excuse me, and a half-sister. Unfortunately, all three of my sisters are no longer with us. They, they've passed in, you know, last 20 years. Um, and so now it's just me and my brother. My brother lives out here in the Houston area, so I get to see him when I'm at work. It's hard to hear that. Um, well, what was life growing up? Uh, how did you... Uh get through school and, and would end up you were in the in the military in the marine corps if i'm not mistaken as well right yeah, i did uh i did four years there uh you know growing up small towns really really small towns you know back in the days where we used to get on our bikes and just you know from daylight and just go you know there were no cell phones and none of that stuff we would make trailers that attached to the back of our bikes and we'd put all our fishing gear and we'd just ride our bikes miles and miles and miles and just spend all day behind the levee and fishing the spillways and, and all those things. Did everything, you know, kids would do back then, you know, and, you know, cut up, got in trouble, all the fun stuff. So, yeah, it was, it was a fun life and uh, it was, it was really enjoyable. Yeah. Got to hunt, fish, do all the things, hang out with friends, all that. Were you drawn to anything in school? No, no. Average student wasn't spectacular in anything really. Just uh, wasn't my thing, you know, wouldn't do, wasn't, uh, didn't do any sports or anything like that, you know, so just an average student and graduated and started living. Did you go straight into the Marine Corps after high school? I did. Yes. Yes. Uh, right after my senior year, I graduated. <clears throat> I went, uh, I think it was in July, August of that year and uh, flew out to San Diego is where I went to boot camp. 
So I was there for three months. And then uh, my MOS, I was a, I was a field radio operator, uh, also known as a battery operated grunt. Uh, fortunately for me, I didn't have to spend a lot of time with the grunts. I was stationed with artillery battery. Uh, so I did my schooling for about three to six months in 29 Palms, California. Uh, from there, I went to Okinawa, Japan. Uh, spent a majority of my time with an artillery battery out there in Okinawa and, you know, spent about six months on, on Navy ships and traveled all over Asia, did all kinds of fun stuff there and did a lot of cross training and spent a lot of time at sea, you know. Tell me about any good memories from boot camp. Oh, man. <laughs> you know, looking back on it now, you know, during, during boot camp, it wasn't fun. It, it's just, it just wasn't because you're young and you're so naive and you have no idea what to expect. And, uh, you know, now you got these big men just yelling at you and telling you to be the lowest scum of the earth and all these things. And they're just breaking you down just to build you back up. Uh, looking back on it now is one of the, one of the greatest things I've ever done. You know, it was, it was, I can look back on it now and, and memorize a lot of things that went on and it was actually fun. You know, at the time it wasn't so fun, but it was looking back now. It was, it was pretty fun. You know, it was, it was hard. Don't get me wrong. Uh, no sleep, you know, lots of PT, PT every morning, every day, uh, getting yelled at constantly, you know, uh, doing things that, that you had no idea why you were doing it until the very end. And then it all kind of comes together and, and uh, they give you the reasons why, you know, and, you know the general instructors will kind of smooth out just a little bit towards the end there and, and start treating you like one of their own. And, you know, and you're no longer scum of the earth. You're, you're actually becoming someone. Uh, it was a great thing for me to do at a young age, you know, got me out of the small town, uh, some discipline. I got a lot of discipline out of it, you know? So I did that and decided to get out and come back into the real world. My stepdad was in the Marine Corps off and on for about 25 years. One of his, uh, memories of boot camp was the pugil stick fighting and how, how much fun he had doing that. Do you recall, were you any good at that? <laughs> you know, you do that about. I don't know, five or six times, right? We we do that about five or six times, and and uh, yeah, uh, it was a it was one. It was called it was like the octagon, and they would put you on one end. And it was like a tunnel that you run down. You have one guy on one end, you have one guy on the other. Run through this tunnel, and you meet the octagon, and then you just duke it out right there. And I swear to this day, they let him go first because by the time I come out of that thing, it was like a whack right across the head, and I was smooth out. I woke up and they're looking at me and I'm like, what happened? It's like, just got knocked out, dude. And I'm like, all right, sounds good. Get up, you get back and in the line and you go and you do it again. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was, it was pretty fun. It was pretty interesting, you know, but uh, like I said, it, it, it built a lot of discipline. It knocked all that, that kid out of you, you know, that child that, that you have inside it, it, it trained you to be a soldier, build you up to be a man. Uh, it was it was a great time in my life. It was. Tell me about arriving at 29 Palms coming from Jackson, Louisiana. Uh, so 29 Palms, well, that was for my MOS school, right? Well, I mean, I didn't grow up in the Centerville or the Jackson, Louisiana part. I mean, I kind of moved around my, uh, with my mom and my dad back and forth, little small towns here and there. But um, the funny thing is, you know, the, the way they picked where you go to boot camp is decided by the Mississippi River. If you live on the east side, you go to, you know, Paris Island. If you live on the west side, you go to San Diego. Well, it just so happened I lived on the west side, but my recruiting depot was on the east side of Mississippi and Baton Rouge. 
So they actually let us choose where you want to go. And I'm like, I'm not going to Paris Island. I'm not doing that. You know, I've heard horror stories of Paris Island. I didn't want to do that. So I decided I want to go, I'm going to go to Hollywood. So that's what they call Hollywood Marines. So you go to San Diego, uh, you know, you step off the plane and, you know, right before you land, you actually fly over MCRD, Marine Corps Recruiting Depot. It's right there in San Diego. There's a chain link fence between the recruiting depot and the airport. So you watch planes constantly fly over. But as soon as you get off and you walk in and you get in formation and all that stuff, and we're just kids. We have no idea. We're scared. We don't even know what to expect. And then here they come and they're, they're kind of guiding us in this, you know, in this little room and they start issuing all these things out and telling us all these rules and just, just kind of laying it out, you know, what's, what's going to happen in the next 12 weeks. And then they send you to get haircuts, you know, and they shave your head and uh, they issue all your gear and all that stuff. And, and it was pretty laid back and they showed you the, the procedures and how we do things. This is what you're going to do and all that. And then you get assigned to a platoon. Right. And as soon as they come in, they, they lay you all down and you're in the barracks and you're sitting down and you're in this group and, and the senior drill instructor walks in and he's just dressed to the T and you're like, wow, that's really cool. You know, and he's he's talking to you like a normal person. It's just, you know, these are my juniors right here. And he introduces them all and he says, if you have any problems, you just come to me and we'll take care of it. And it's all psychological. Right. And uh he said, well, if anybody has any questions, no, and nobody had any questions because we're all scared to raise our hands. I'm going to turn you over to my juniors. Juniors, they're all yours. And as soon as he said that, it was absolute chaos. They started yelling and they're throwing things and we're just scared. We have no idea what we're doing. We're just running around in circles, all the things. But uh, it, it was fun. I mean, once you get used to them yelling at you every day and everything is, is, is procedural, right? Everything's there for a reason. And it's just basically repetition over and over and over and over again. Once you get used to it, you know, I would go to bed at night and I would think about the day I just had and all the PT and the running and the lifting and the, the pull-ups and all the stuff we just did. And I would hear those airplanes flying, they'd take off and they'd land. And I'm like, one day we'll be on one of the planes getting out of here. <laughs> one day. That's, that's how I got through boot camp, you know, and I, I learned a lot through boot camp. Had a lot of fun. Anything interesting to share about your time in Okinawa? Oh, man. Okinawa is different, you know, coming from South Louisiana, where the only place I actually ever went was, uh, you know, Florida for vacation, you know, Biloxi, all those things. And here I am at, you know, at 18 years old, you know, 18, well, I was 19 at the time. So 19 years old and uh, you're flying to a foreign country. And you land and the culture, it's abs just totally different. You have no idea what, I mean, it's a culture shock, you know? So, uh, yeah, it, it was pretty interesting. You know, you, you're around the locals who don't speak a whole lot of English. You don't know what's going on, you know? And, and we're able to kind of go off base on weekends and explore and, and, and have a little fun. And, and Okinawa is not very big. I mean, on weekends, we would actually take, uh, we, we bought bikes and we would actually, we can ride our bike around uh the, the island and camp out in, in a weekend you know and it was a uh, it was pretty interesting i spent all pretty much all my time there uh most of the, some of the time i was there i uh spent six months on ship so got to go all over asia thailand korea philippines uh you know that was a totally different life but also fun you know you go into port and 
you have a great time and, and just visit, you know, looking back on it now, I was so young and just didn't care about anything. We just wanted to get off and go drink and just party and all that. You know, if I was to go back and do it today, I would, I would pay more attention to the culture and just, and soak it all in and with how they live and why they live that way. You know, I don't regret it, but that's one of the things that I wish I could have done a little differently. I don't recall the year or how long he was there. My stepdad was in Okinawa. He was actually teaching the locals how to do country Western line dancing and stuff. But uh, anyway, so <laughs> cool. yeah, you do your four years and you get out. What happens next? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I had a lot of stuff to get out of my system. I, uh, I moved to Panama city beach and, and partied it up, bartended right there on the beach during a couple for, you know, spring break and stuff like that, you know, but, and, uh, then I decided to, to come on back and get into the river, you know, uh, what we didn't discuss is between my junior and senior in high school, I was already 18 because I have a late birthday when it comes to the school year. I was already 18 and between my junior and senior in high school, and of course, is how I got into the industry. I had two uncles that were boat captains and I needed something to do for the summer because, you know, I just didn't want to sit around. And my, my mom was like, you need to find something to do. Yeah. I'm like, all right. So they threw me out to the river with my uncles and uh, they put me on deck, you know, and I worked for three months straight. And uh, that was that was a little different, you know, back then, you know, early 90s. Didn't know what to do, had no clue. Uh, you know, the, the deck crew wouldn't even let me out on tow because, you know, they were mad because I was on my uncle's boat and they were, you just, they just sent a boy out here to do a man's job. They were them hardcore deck hands, you know. So they just made me chip and paint the boat all summer. That's all I did. I didn't even go out on tow. Didn't lift the ratchet, didn't tighten the wire, didn't face the boat up, didn't unface the boat, nothing. Chips and painted. That was my day. From six in the morning to six in the evening, I chipped and I painted. And by the time the summer was up, I pretty much had the whole boat done. So that was my first experience on the river. So after I came back from Florida, I decided, uh, let me give it a chance again because I knew the job, right? So I went back uh, to the same company I worked for for that summer. And uh, yeah, went back on deck and, and worked my way up through there. What was the company? Carline Management Company. Okay. What was, what say again? Oh, I'm just saying it was a little, it's just a small family owned company, you know, right there at the 180 mm -hmm. mile board. Yep. Uh, what was deckhand onboarding back then? Watching a lot of VHS tapes, you know, safety videos, of course, you know, you know, Carline is, Carline's a good company and they've always taken care of their people. Uh, don't have anything bad to say about Carline. You know, they put you in a little room, you do your application, they do the interview, uh, and then they put you in a little room and they just, they give you a stack of VHS tapes to say, watch all these tapes. You do all the paperwork. And I mean, it was a stack of paperwork, making sure you test out on these videos and, and all that. Then, uh, and they pretty much throw you on a boat, you know, uh, it just so happened. I was actually, uh, going to, I was going to get on one boat. I was going to get on the CSS Atlanta to catch my uncle's boat, which is the CSS Arkansas. And they were going to meet. So they were going to drop me off in between. I get on the Atlanta. I had no idea what was going on here. And I'm in the galley. I got my life jacket still on. And they're like, hey, you're not going to sink right here. You know, you, you can take your life jacket off. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Take my life jacket off. I got a 
I got a guy that's all tatted up in the corner over there and he's just playing guitar. He's got long hair. And I'm like, what the hell did I get into, man? I have no idea. And he looks at me and says, what are you on front watch, back watch or swing watch? And I'm like, I have no idea, dude. I don't, I don't know. By that time, the captain comes down and the captain was, uh, you know, if you didn't know him, he was, he just, he was mean as a rattlesnake, you know? And he was one of those captains when he came down, everybody went to one side of the galley and he would go to the galley table and he would eat his lunch and he'd go back upstairs. And uh, yeah, and by the time uh, they met up with the boat, I was able to get off and get on my uncle's boat. And that's where I spent all my time there. So. Tell me about your tenure on deck on your uncle's boat. Oh man. Well, you know, once I went back, you know, for my first little stint in the summer, when I went back, uh, it didn't take long for me to kind of get back into to the swing of things, right? When it came to maintaining the boat, I didn't have a whole lot of experience on the deck because, of course, they didn't let me out there. So I had to learn all that, but I had a lot of good mentors, you know, quite a few of them are, that are no longer with us. But uh, a lot of my mentors that I had are actually all in the wheelhouse now, you know, uh, quite a few of them. Uh, they've moved on to bigger and better things and uh, they taught me a lot, you know, just learning the life of a, of a tow boater. You know, we'd work 14 and seven. And back then I was still young and it was, you get on the boat and you work 14 days and then you get off and you just go party and you blow all your money and you come back in 14 days and you just rest up, you make money and you do that for as long as it, you want to do it. And then uh, it came to the point where I was like, yeah, you know, it's time for me to settle down. So, you know met someone and kind of started settling down and, and all that. So then I decided I wanted to get my pilot's license. I had time in to get my pilot's license. So I went to school for that. Uh, had two good friends that were actually going to school at the same time. They had already had their license and they were both already cut loose, but they were going to upgrade their license. And so we all went at the same time. So I had those guys kind of help me and bring me up to where they were in their license so I could get the same license they had. Uh, yeah, so we would study, study, study. I finally got my license, and then it was up to me to uh, – there was no steersman program back then, of course. Uh, it was up to me to learn how to run the boat, how I was, you know, any way I could, you know. So my uncle would train me, you know. Uh, I had other captains that – one of them still at Carline to this day, you know. I mean, he's been there – I don't know how, Mike, how long Mike's been there, but Mike Duncan's been there for – I imagine 20, 25 years or something like that. Uh, yeah. So he, he trained me, let me run the boat, you know, gave me a little stick time, gave me some, some pointers and all that. And it got to the point where I started getting really serious about it. And I went to management. I went to Miss Jan and I asked her, I said, look, uh, I'd like to come in on my off time and run the boat. She says, well, we're not going to pay you for it. I'm like, all right, whatever. That's, that's fine. I just want to come in a couple of days on my off time and, and just strictly run the boat. She says, okay, that's fine. So we actually had a couple of deckhands that were on the opposite watch on the other boats that had licenses. And I didn't want to step on their toes. So the only boat that was available was actually on nights. So I would get on the boat with Mike Duncan on nights. And that's when all the work was anyway. They did all the dock shifts. They set up the cleaning dock and boats would come in and do all the shifting. By the time midnight came around, it, it all kind of kind of settled down a little bit. So then I was able to kind of get off and, and go do my thing. Uh, 
about six months later, I was pretty proficient in what I was supposed to be doing. And they decided to give me a chance. So, and they did, they gave me a chance. And of course, you know, you kind of learn that's trial by fire pretty much, you know, when you're up there and you don't have anybody behind you to worry about or to watch over you, make sure you're doing anything right, doing anything wrong, stuff like that. So you get up there, you make a whole bunch of mistakes, but you learn from them. And uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much how I got started in the wheelhouse kind of bounced around here and there. I was always on a, um, I was always on a, on a, on a mission to learn, you know? So if anything ever popped up, in another fleet or tramping up and down the river, I was, I want to go learn that. And they were very, you know, willing to bounce me around and let me learn on a whole bunch of different things. So very appreciative of that. How did your career advance from there? Oh, so from there, let's see, Carline, I actually started, I was on the CSS Arkansas was the first boat I worked on as my office boat. And I worked on that boat and I was able to, uh, to work my way, my way up to relief captain of that vessel over time. And I have a good friend of mine, uh, Charlie Volker, who was, uh, who was the captain of that boat. And they started running in the West Canal. And, you know, he's like, hey, man, come over here and I'll teach you the West Canal. I'm like, all right, that sounds good. So we get out there and we're just running to the, to the salt mines and all that kind of stuff. And we're running into Houston, you know, and he pretty much taught me all the West Canal. Uh, we were in the river. Uh, we were in, well, we were in the fleet and, and Charlie was getting off the net the following day. And I told Charlie, I said, Charlie, you work all day, you go and I'll take care of the night. Tomorrow's crew change. We're, we're going to get our pilot on. Just do your thing. And it was just to help him out so he can get on the road earlier. You know? So that's what we did. He worked all day. I worked all night. And by the time the morning came, I was tired and we were at Darrow 175. We're sitting at Darrow 175 and the pilot gets on and I, I told Shane, I was like, man, I am tired. He's like, well, go to bed. I just woke up, you know, and you just do your thing, right? I'm like, all right. So I go downstairs, take a shower, get into bed. And my head hit the pillow. I was just off into that dreamland. And there was a whole bunch of commotion going on. I'm like, what is going on here, man? I'm like, what are these guys doing? They need to be quiet. I'm trying to sleep here, you know? And I started getting a little upset. And they started doing it again, and they're running around. And, and next thing you know, the general alarm goes off. I'm like, oh, no. Let's, let's figure this out. So I get up, put my jacket on. I run up to the wheelhouse. Tim, when I tell you I got up to the wheelhouse, there was nobody there. And I looked out the window, and all I saw was a bow of a ship. And this ship was coming down on us and it ended up t-boning the tow that we were in we were in tow with another vessel and it t-boned us and sunk a whole bunch of barges ended up sinking the boat i was the last one off the boat jumped in the skiff and kind of got out of there but it, it scared the daylights out you know and i mean yeah i'm still on my first issue i have no idea how i'm going to bounce back to this but i had to i had to bounce back so I took some time off a couple of weeks and then I went to Carline and said, look, if I'm ever going to do this again, I can't do it in the river. So I decided to move on to somewhere else and I applied for uh, Maryland Marine at the time. And they strictly just ran canal, you know. They said, we, we understand, not a problem. I left, went to Maryland Marine. I was there for probably about a year, something like that. Uh, just running the West Canal, every now and then in the river, running to Houston, you know, 
pushing a couple crude oil barges, running in every little ditch you could possibly find. Uh, decided that it was by that time it was it was time for me to just find a fleet job because by then I was married, I had kids at home, you know, young kids, and it was time for me to to be home with them. So I was looking for a fleet job, and it just so happened that AEP had just came in to the convent fleet, and they had started they bought you know Elmwood and all that kind of stuff, and, and they were in there. So I I applied for them. I had buddy of mine that worked at Elmwood at the time or Memco, whatever they called themselves. And, and he kind of put a word in for me, told me, you know, he's looking for something and it took a little while, but I finally got on and I went over there and, and started working at AP and running into fleet and all that. That was, that was pretty fun because that's when, you know, after Katrina, you know, when AEP came down, they didn't have the manpower and they wanted to kind of change the way they did business in the Gulf. And they wanted to make a turn fleet and they didn't have the manpower there to crew the boats. So they would bring the guys down from West Virginia to crew these boats. And, and uh, that was a good time. That was that fleet and the way it was ran and the work we did. We had fun. You know, we enjoyed every aspect of by the time we got on the boat, the time we got off the boat, we were just rolling. We ne- we didn't stop. There was no chasing a break around there. But we had fun. And in the evenings when we got off, they would take us to dinner and just kind of hang out with us, you know, the bosses. And we didn't understand that culture, you know, the culture. I, I had no idea that that culture even existed in a company. But the bosses were there where they were, you know, they would get on the boats with us, ride. And if we needed anything, they were absolutely right there for us. This is pretty cool, man. I enjoy this. And I was there for, you know, 12 years, 12 and a half years. So did that. Uh, Then, of course, ACBL came in and bought AEP River Operations. Uh, About halfway into my 12 years, uh, management had changed. You know, the, the boss I had before had moved on to do something else in the company. And there was a new boss in and and they were looking for another poor captain. So I applied and went in and interviewed and, and all that. He, I was on the boat one day and he called and said, Hey, that's good news. Want off your job. I'm like, all right. And that was my first port captain gig. And I was over the fleet boats right there at convent. And uh, so I went shoreside and, and I did that for a while. It wasn't long after that. He, uh, he promoted me to senior port captain. So I did that gig for a while. And of course, after that, that's when ACBL came in. Once ACBL came in, they started kind of changing the way they were wanting to do things. Uh, They started severing a whole bunch of people that were in office because it was just a whole bunch of redundancy going on, people in the same positions. And, uh, you know, Jeff Kendall came to me and asked me if I wanted to be, you know, he asked me to be facility manager over a convent, Belmont, and Armont fleets. Of course, I accepted. I wasn't going to turn it down, you know. Uh, so I did that for about two years, something like that. And uh, I kind of got tired of it. I didn't care for the whole administrative part of it all. You know, at the, at the end of the day, I'm a boatman, you know, and I like spending time with the guys out on the boats. And and I just couldn't find the time. I couldn't make the time to be able to do that. So from there, I just decided to, you know what, I'm going to go get back on boats. I'm going to go and, and bounce around and, and continue learning. And that's pretty much what I did. I tripped for for quite a while, you know, I was, I was like, like Mark Murphy said, I was a hired gun 
for for quite a while and you know and, and uh, i was able to to post myself you know and get posted on pretty much every waterway within the united states except for about three i think i'm missing about three waterways i haven't been on from beginning to end so yeah and i did that for for a very very long time uh quite a few years and then and then a uh, an opportunity came up with the company I'm at now, and they asked me to, because I had experience, and I would come over and, and help them out and uh, go shoreside. And I felt at that time of my career, you know, and everything I've learned throughout my years, it was, it was time for me to start passing that knowledge down. You know, when they interviewed me, I also interviewed them, you know, and I told them this is what I'm, I'm looking to do, and this is what I'm offering, you know, to bring to the table. You know, what are your visions? I wanted to know what their vision was for their company and what they wanted to do down here. And everything kind of meshed and, and I've been here ever since. So it's, and it's great, you know. So I'm back and forth between, you know, Louisiana and Houston, back and forth, you know. So, but I'm able to get on the boats and ride the boats with the guys and, and do all those things, which I absolutely enjoy. Uh, post guys up if they've never been to places. Uh, it's, this is, yeah, this is this is where I was meant to end up after all that stuff behind me. This is where I was I was meant to end up. So here I am. So I'm sure you want to back up. Well, I do a little bit, yeah. Um, <laughs> I've dispatching canals about four and a half years. I just switched jobs uh, with 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 an Ingram. But uh, yeah. what was what was your favorite run on the canal? Oh man. Anything east of Houston, I was good. Yeah. West of Houston, been there and done that. Don't like it, you know? I mean, because, you know, one one slip up and one mistake, and you can really, you know, mess some stuff up over there. Uh, we would run into Houston and, and run all the way up to Greens Bayou. I don't know if you've ever seen that operation, but that is not a fun place to be either. But, but you know, anything east of Houston, man, is it's laid back and, and chill dark 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 at night you know because there's no backlight cities or anything like that not a whole lot of traffic just kick back relax and, and uh you know one of the great things that i enjoy about this industry and about what we do out on the boats is we get to see the world from a different perspective from the water a lot of places from the water not a lot of people get to see that you know uh so seeing plenty of awesome sunrises awesome sunsets uh yeah, it's anything in the West Canal is, is cool with me. It's pretty laid back compared to a lot of other places. I'll tell you that now. It's, it's, it's cakewalk. So. Well, speaking of, as a trip pilot, what was, uh, I guess, the most surprising thing you got to see and then the prettiest place you, you've been? So the my favorite river and the most beautiful river, in my opinion, that I've ran was the Tennessee River. So from Paducah all the way up to Chattanooga. Once you get above Kentucky Locks and you run through Kentucky Lake and you're running up through this river, the water is clean. It's an emerald green, clear. You got mountains on either side. You're making these locks and you see these big, big giant houses on the on the mountains and into the mountains and all this stuff, you know. And it's a fun river to run. It's quiet, laid back. There's some locks up there that can be a pain in the butt. But uh, yeah, once you get above, you know, Gunnersville, you know, Alabama, 
and you start running into Chattanooga, you get to run through the gorge, which is basically mountain to mountain. And if you was looking over as an aerial, all you would see is like a stream of water between two mountains. And you get to run a barge up and through there, and it's curvy and all that. And some of the some of the most beautiful, you know, country, you know, up there in, in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and just sometimes it kind of takes your breath away because you can't believe they're paying me a lot of money to to do this, but they are, and I'm willing to take it and I'm willing to do it. So yeah, it's absolutely stunning up there. So Tennessee river all the way, man. I'll, I'll take the Tennessee river any day of the week. Well, what waterways have you not been on? So in a few of the tributaries out of the upper Ohio, like the, the Mon river, uh, the canal river, haven't done that. And I haven't run the Missouri river. I've done the, the Arkansas river all the way to Catoosa, Oklahoma and all the upper and, all the Ohio, the Tennessee, the Cumberland up to Nashville. Uh, of course, everything down south, the lower from Cairo down. Uh, yeah, those are about the only ones I haven't really ran on. Of course, there's other small little rivers and tributaries, but anything that's really worth mentioning would be those three that I haven't done. What's the biggest tow you've been behind? 25. 25 loads on the lower. Yeah, 25 barges on the lower. We we pushed 25 loads south and then 30 to yeah, 30 empties north coming all the way down to New Orleans and then turn around going back up with empties. Did that take some getting used to? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> after the first trip, I realized, yeah, I just kind of winged it going down there that time. So I might need to get somebody to, to train me. But, you know, the good thing about, uh, about tripping around is, you know, I'm not the only one that trips around. You know, we got a lot of old retired captains, heavy tow captains that, uh, you know, some of them been doing it for, oh man, 40, 50 years that I had the, the pleasure to ride with, you know, ride a towboat with and, and hear their stories and get taught by them, you know, lessons. And I mean, it's, it's phenomenal. You know, one captain I rode with was, I mean, he's 84 years old, still running the daylights out of a boat, man. He just hasn't lost him, and he'll do it until he he can't anymore, you know. But that man who would tell me stories how he watched every lock on the Ohio River being built, and I'm like, man, the knowledge he has, you know. And I was very fortunate to be able to ride with that captain and and, and learn from him, you know. So yeah, it was a. Uh, but yeah, back to the the, the towing on the on the lower. It's 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 not fun, man. It's it's not. It's it's pretty stressful, you know. Any other any other waterway you can kind of kick back, you know, at 15 or you're pushing a unit tow with two in the canal or six pack in the canal, you can kind of kick back in your straightaways and just listen to your music and just relax. No, not on the lower, buddy. Not southbound on the lower, negative. Mm -mm. No, you're always, you're always up here. Your alert level is like maxed out, you know, because anything could happen at any time. So. It, it, was, it was pretty stressful coming on down. And, of course, going up, too, is not fun either. So those guys that run them heavy toes up and down that lower Mississippi River, they de they deserve every penny they get and more. Let me tell you that right now. That's, that's, that's some champs right there, man. Good guys. Well, aside from getting run over by a ship on your, uh, your first issue there, anything else kind of crazy occur over the years like that? Nope, 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 no one there. That pretty much takes the cake. Uh, haven't had anything like that happen. You know, that, that, that kind of stuff really doesn't happen every day. 
you know, it's, it was it was a fluke. We were in the we were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Not our fault, you know. Uh, but no, nothing, nothing crazy. No, not like that anyway. Yeah, very thankfully, that does not happen every day. That is so, right. So tell me about uh, about family. I know you got two little kids, huh? Yeah, I actually have four. I have four kids. Uh, my first wife, I have two daughters by. They're 22. My oldest daughter just turned 22. And then my youngest daughter, she'll be 20 in April. And of course, uh, my second marriage, I have two boys. And they're 10 and 8. What are they all up to these days? Obviously, school for the young, youngest ones. Oh, yeah. And two boys of mine, man. They're, of course, they get all their brains from their mama. But, you know. Without a doubt. Yep. With, without a doubt no there's no doubt in my mind you know no doubt uh they're uh they're very athletic those two boys man and you know all they do is swim you know it was just a couple of years ago and they wouldn't even get in the deep end of the pool without uh without floaties on and, and now they swim competitively you know with kids their age and older you know it's like man i mean it's like they woke up and they were fish you know but of course, they're in school and they do their thing. My my two daughters, they they're just doing their thing too. They haven't quite figured out what they want to do with their lives yet. But you know, so. Is there anything to suggest yet that the the youngest two would, might follow you into the industry? You know, I'm not the type of person that's gonna gonna push them towards it, and I'm not also gonna prevent them from doing it. I'm gonna allow them to make their choices however they see fit. You know, if that's if that's what they want to do, awesome. You know, uh, I'll mentor them just like my uncles mentored me, you know, coming into this industry, uh, if that's what they want to do. Uh, I'm hoping, wouldn't say I'm hoping not, but I hope they go on to be something bigger and better because, I mean, these, those kids, man, they, they surprise me every day, especially my youngest. My oldest, my oldest son, he is about, you, you can put any ball in his hand and he can play that sport. It doesn't matter. I mean, I don't think he's ever picked up a tennis racket, but I bet if I put him on a tennis court, he'd kick my butt. You know, he's that athletic, you know. Uh, and the youngest one, I mean, he's he's just he's just too smart. For, he's he's too smart for his own good, him, man. I, I don't know. I don't even know what to think about him. It's hard to even hold conversations with that kid. It's like, what? I, I can't believe that just came out of your mouth, man. What are you talking about? Now, good kids, but if they if they choose to do that, then you know what, by all means, I'll support that. If not, then they won't, and I'll support whatever they choose they want to do. I can tell you this much: it's it's a good industry to be in, and it's it supported me, you know, my family, taking care of me. Uh, it's, it's nothing. There's nothing like this, you know, in the world, and what we do is is so unique. So, I really, really truly enjoy what I do. I love what I do. Uh, I can't even think about or picture myself doing anything else. So I'm very proud of what I do. Uh, so yeah, if, if they want to follow my footsteps, awesome. If not, awesome. Now, had you heard of the Maritime Throwdown before uh, my podcast? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, I actually, uh, I know Kenny. Yeah, I know Kenny Brown. Uh, good dude, really great guy. Uh, yeah, he. Uh, I've spent a lot of time when I was tripping around, you know, and hung out in Cherokee Fleet, and, and he would be over there and just just talking to him and 
you know, doing all the things. He actually came from Carline also, you know, so we have that in common. But, yeah, he's a good dude, man, good dude. What he's doing is, is, is a great thing for the industry. Right, any, any, any final thoughts? Uh, you know, what you're doing, Tim, let's talk about what you're doing, man. You know, the, the podcast that, that you have going on here and then the interviews that you conduct, it's awesome. I mean, I'm, I'm here to tell you, I, I enjoy every single one of them. I enjoy listening to the history and of, of you know, your guys like, you know, Mark Canoy. I, I enjoyed it. You know, Frank Morton. I enjoy those those uh, those interviews, you know, listening to how those old school guys, those, those guys came up into the industry and, 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 you know, accomplished what they have accomplished. You know, so, yeah, I just want to say I appreciate what you're doing, man. And I thank you, you know. So other than that, yeah, just keep doing it. Just just keep doing what you're doing, buddy. That's the plan. I yeah. appreciate you. I appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me on. Talk to you soon. Yeah, buddy.